politics and marketing have a lot in common on the face of it. One, you're selling an idea. The other, you're selling a product, which is really an idea. You're, you're basically fighting for customer mind space. Hey, I'm Blake, and this is the Content Plus Commerce Podcast, presented by Engine Ecommerce, the only podcast for people building successful online stores. From agency life to being a lone freelancer, we'll be bringing you weekly content full of best practices and in-the-trenches advice. Welcome back to another great episode of Content Plus Commerce by Engine. Today, I have Alex Zachman with me of Old North Collective. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Yourself? Doing good. It's a cold Tuesday here in Fayetteville. It's 12 degrees, so staying warm in our podcast room and uh, excited to be talking with you today. Yeah, they're uh, actually talking about snow here in North Carolina, and you know that means that uh, the grocery stores probably have a run on them already. Yes, no more bread and milk. It's all gone. (laughs) You you missed eggs. (laughs) Oh, yes, exactly. That, too. So let's get into the format here, and tell me the background on your agency, your backstory on how you founded it, how you got to where you are today, Uh, and then, yeah, like let me just hear the background story of Old North Collective. Yeah, so um, kind of a, a weird, strange backstory. I uh, didn't go to school for marketing. I actually went to school for chemistry and biology. Uh, ended up working in politics before I was in the agency space. Um, basically got fed up with lack of bipartisanship in politics. Uh, ended up having a couple of nervous breakdowns because of bills not moving forward because we worked for the minority party and uh, ultimately had to leave for mental health sake and getting into it. um, You know, politics and marketing have a lot in common on the face of it. One, you're selling an idea. The other, you're selling a product, which is really an idea. Um, So you're, you're basically fighting for uh, customer mind space and Marketing was kind of a logical idea. I was doing professional photography on the side, and it was just a really easy conversion into that. Um, One of the things, I guess, that makes us a little different is that with my STEM background, we actually have PhD scientists on staff to help with copywriting, science communication. Uh, We actually do uh, academic academic level um, polling. Um, so we really bring the STEM idea to marketing. So we have a hypothesis. We have to validate the hypothesis before we move forward. Um, and nothing's ever truly proven because you can have something that knocks an idea way out of whack and then you have to go make another hypothesis and readjust fire. I love that. I love the idea of bringing some like PhD level science to polling and, and marketing itself. That's a really, it's a unique approach that you don't see often. So often you see like driven by gut or driven by feeling. So it's really cool to see the, the STEM approach that you're bringing. Yeah, no, I, I say that if I'm, if I'm doing stuff by gut or feeling, I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> um, so Outside of uh, e-commerce and helping manufacturers, uh, a big portion is kind of in the engineering and biotech field. So the approach really resonates uh, within that industry. 
Yeah, yeah. Now when you're when you're building stuff for these clients, what are your go-to tools? What's your tool set that you're that you're using for site builds, for store builds, uh, even down to marketing tools or what you're using to watch performance analytics? Yeah, so the biggest thing is that again, we want to validate our hypotheses first. So my go-to tool that 100% of clients, I think I've even shared it with you, um, is Quantcast Measure. I mean, you want to be able to validate what audience you actually have, use psychographics to tell you who your audience is, how they relate. Um, you can use that to make content that resonates with folks. Uh, you can use that to make some UI, UX uh, assumptions. Um, for polling, um, I'm a huge fan of Qualtrics. I used it pretty heavily in college. Um, there's really no better uh, polling tool out there. It's not inexpensive, but it, like its functionality is stunning. Um, from UX validation, if we're working with uh, larger clients, um, I am a huge fan of Full Story. Um, the funny story on that is that you introduced me to them um, and we're now uh, core agency partners with them. So uh, we basically help to onboard clients. We use it as UX validation tool and then we can consistently make updates on UX and UI to better drive conversion. Yeah, of course. Wanna, I want to jump in and, just, and drop a thing on full story real quick. I don't know if you've seen the uh like the rage click section that it will drop people <laughs> into but it's the best segmentation i've ever seen in any product uh like it automatically will generate a segment of people who yes yes perfect so uh, so none of you can see this but uh we uh full story i have a really cool sticker that looks like knuckle tattoos <laughs> and actually says rage click in like 19th century woodblock typeface it is, awesome. it is funny. Um, yeah, the rage clicks interesting. False, uh, like false clicks are really interesting. Understanding where you need to put hyperlinks and help people navigate the site. Yep. Um, Bitbucket and GitHub, of course, are invaluable tools. Um, really excited about you guys and the disruption you're bringing to the marketplace. Uh, I think having the customization of Marketo, but not needing developers on staff is just game changing. Um, I, I think it, it brings true enterprise tools to people that couldn't afford it otherwise. And I think if your traffic is high enough, it's going to save you money and you can use that to really drive an omni-channel marketing approach. Yeah, totally agreed. Uh, we're, we are super thrilled to be bringing some of that kind of higher ratcheted tool set to customers that, that deserve it and need it, that need something more than just a mom and pop off the shelf platform. Oh yeah. I, I think, you know, uh, kind of talking marketing for a little bit, you know, the, the thing that's really interesting to me is really the rise of Omnichannel. So we're in the process of launching a new six-figure website ourselves. Um, pretty excited about it. But one of the lines on it, it in huge 100-point font 
is why are you just using Google? Stop with just doing search engine marketing. Like yep. meet your customer where they're at, run lower volume campaigns that are highly customized. Like one of the cool things that we just did um, is uh, we're, we've partnered with a local letterpress uh, printer and uh, we ended up getting our third party mail handling certificate slash like license. So we're able to do direct mail retargets. So the idea is that if you've interacted with a brand three or four times online and you've shown interest, instead of blanket mailing people, we're able then to go into a high trust medium. So advertising online typically is below 50% trust. Mail, if you do it well, is like 80 or 90% trust factors. So that's really interesting. Like a lot of people look over and kind of glaze over a direct mail, but it, I, I think it's still a very potent, very real tactic to leverage, especially in industries where the shopper or your target market might not be expecting it. I know that yes. I've gotten several direct mailings like catalogs from D2C clothing companies that I am certain I've perused their website and maybe signed up for a newsletter, but never purchased. But getting that catalog or that discount in the mail pushed me over the edge way more so than just another ad on Instagram would do. It, it's tactile. I mean, what people aren't realizing, I think, yet is 60% of the marketplace is made up of Gen Z and millennials. And when you've disused a legacy product, now you're using it in a novel way. A lot of folks haven't actually seen it used. So when you have a high quality printing that shows that it was a high dollar amount, people value that. Yep, completely. And I, I also think I, I want to pull on this thread a little bit more in this conversation. But you mentioned kind of like leveraging non-traditional marketing tactics to hit this Gen Z and millennial audience. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of these like fresh D2C brands are really embracing. So let's talk a little bit more kind of on, on that train of thought and get into whether it be leveraging partnerships, like for, for an agency, how does an agency look at that rapidly different uh, consumer base? I think it's, you know, so the running joke is that I drink and I know things. Um, <laughs> and uh, ironically enough, like a certain user group understands that really well. And yes, I'm short and hairy like Tyrion. So it works. It works perfect. <laughs> um, I think it's just kind of embracing new technologies and being willing to be a market disruptor. So one of my clients, like we've used to some success, uh, Twitch, Snapchat, and uh, TikTok to really go after the younger consumer. And when you're looking at non-traditional social platforms, uh, advertising ends up being a lot less expensive. So from an e-com perspective, if you're moving a product that is popular to millennials and Gen Z, I mean, don't be afraid to run some test campaigns on non-traditional platforms because I, I think what we've found at any rate, you know, some of our smaller consumers that might be just a, or just growing into your platform, you know, we, we can end up doing really good things on platforms that have pennies on the dollar uh, spend rates compared to Google or Facebook. 
Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's a it's a very interesting approach that a lot of times the the brands as you get larger, you start to only focus on the large marketing platforms you have at your disposal while looking over the new disruptors, stuff like Snapchat where yeah, the targeting might not be as great uh, and your audience might not be as direct, but you can do some very creative, very different things there that will result in like higher NPS and like even more kind of viral opportunity to spread over just another Facebook ad placement? I wouldn't disagree. Uh, I would add to uh, making something viral is 100% planned. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's again where let's go back and have a conversation about psychographics and Quantcast. Um, I mean, if, if you think that the Popeye's chicken was an accident, you're <laughs> like horribly wrong. I mean, understanding demographic and, and psychographic makeup of Twitter. I mean, understanding that African-Americans are overrepresented on Twitter and understanding that you're making something that directly appeals to that demographic base. Mm -hmm. And you know that it's culturally part of that, that demographic base. Like that's the recipe for things going viral. So it's, making sure that you understand your analytics really well and you use content to drive interaction and channel choice is part of it because you, you do want to make sure that you're interacting with the demographic that you want to interact with. But really the, the crux of it is making sure that your content is good and that your user base wants to interact with your content. Completely. And ensuring that, uh, the audience that you're trying to hit exists on that platform in a manner that's not just like fleeting. Like I, I think you hit on that perfectly there uh, that you need to ensure that the, the platforms that you're targeting, that your audience actually lives and works there. Don't spend all of your cash through a Facebook ad campaign targeting Gen Z because that's not going to take off. Like you're going to need to find other platforms in order to hit that market. Yes. And then the other, the other caveat that I would, I would, push on this. Um, so you, you guys also introduced me to a really great platform called Voxy. Um, Bogdan and I have become good friends and uh, Bogdan's the CEO. Um, like their platform is stunning, but it, what I've kind of realized off of it is, uh, oh yeah, by the way, it's an SMS platform and they're going to have functionality to social chat soon. But the more personal you become with communication, the less you need to communicate. And I think if you apply standard communication tactics to more personal means, you shut people off and you've burned the ability to actually uh, use that channel again. I think that's a great point. I think it's making people glaze over a lot as well. Oh, yeah, to totally. You know, it's one of the things that we've developed here is the ability to aggregate third party data so that we can actually geo target uh, individuals in an area to pull unique device IDs. Uh, so that gets us actually, since we're pulling the information when we need it, it's considered first party data now. Uh, so we can actually upload that to Facebook and we can upload it to Google. That's awesome. Um, 
it's incredibly powerful and some would say maybe slightly creepy, but I, I think, you know, if you use it ethically and you remember that like this is incredibly personal data, if you use it right, it can be really powerful. The issue is that if you use it wrong, it's very easy to become a Cambridge Analytica and just turn people off or ruin an industry because you decided that you wanted short-term gains versus thinking about long-term strategy. Sure. I don't think anybody will disagree that they don't want ads that are more targeted and more personalized to them. But I think from a from the agency perspective or from the brand perspective, uh, it's about kind of empathy and like treating that targeted customer the way that you would want to be treated, leveraging their data the way that you would want your data leveraged, rather than just going all in and trying to get as uh, creepy as you can get. Oh, yeah. I mean... What uh, I think Procter and Gamble did this to some degree, where like they were basically figuring out um, that females ended up becoming pregnant, and before right. the female even learned that they were pregnant, uh, they were basically getting targeted ads for like baby diapers and yep. like other like infant goods, and that's that's what not to do mm -hmm. but then you know and, and why gen z and millennials really dislike advertising but on the flip side if you know that i like mountain biking and you know that i like internet goods or programming and you know that i run a store and then just so happens that a mountain biker's going down a single track in the ozarks and now all of a sudden you're talking about engine e-commerce like now you've really connected the brand in my mind to something that I enjoy and you've made it more personal. And that's really what we need to highlight and replicate. Yeah, totally agreed. Uh, one thing that I know that you've hit on a couple times during this episode so far, you've mentioned partnerships between agencies and platforms. So yes. I would love to hear more about how you're leveraging these partnerships, the value of those, the value of being in a partnership network. Uh, from an agency perspective. I know from platform perspective, it's great for us. It gives us a, uh, a force multiplier of ways to make our clients happier. But talk to me from the agency perspective. Wh why are you leveraging partnerships? So to like some extent, I mean, I'm partners with you guys because we met at an event and I <laughs> literally hit it off with most of your company. And to me, relational business is still very much alive. Um, I think a lot of people forget that. Because of this, you're able to leverage those relationships and make a product stand out. So the issue is in marketing, how do I differentiate myself from the 18-year-old who just got Google Ads certified and is running you know, a PPC campaign at a fraction of the price that I could. Really, like, that's the definition of a commodity. So for me, a lot of times, PPC ends up being a loss leader, and it's everything else that drives revenue for us. So partnerships become a way of driving revenue because there's another revenue stream present because each partner's going to have some sort of rev share with a partner. The flip side is that it opens a channel of communication with the partner. So, 
you know, with you guys, I have weekly conversations. We're able to figure out what's, what's happening, how to best leverage a product. If there's an oh shoot moment, I, you know, am able to Slack or email you guys right away. Uh, same thing with Full Story or Pendo. Uh, we're able to have a conversation right away to, to, to really help the customer. Um, and then because there is some sort of rev share, like I don't have to rely solely on my hourly rates driving revenue. So I'm able to really be there in the long term for my client. So I'm not worried about short term profits. I'm worried about lifetime customer value. That That's kind of the, the big things for me with, with partnerships. It, yeah. It, it just, it's, it's purely a relational thing. Yeah. Like it helps, it helps the customer. It helps the platform. It helps the agency. Yeah. I, I could, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I could not agree more. I, I think it's the, the human aspect of business is so under leveraged that a lot of people start seeing it as just two chatbots talking to each other forever in a, blank room uh, and people forget that there's humans involved uh, and that that is what is at the core of any sort of B2B relationship and leveraging like relationships with you guys with our other agency partners has really informed our platform to become a better platform it has helped and enabled our clients it just it goes beyond any other format of doing business that I can really see that's even as an option on the table it it's me no longer selling a product it's because I have personal relationships with many of my platform partners, it, it really is something that sets it apart. Like it's me being able to see like, what are the needs of my client? I'm able to have a conversation with any of my partners to say, we need this functionality. Uh, and most of the time, if there's a use case for it and money's coming out of it, there's going to be, changes that allow for that use case for the customer, which is amazing. Uh, and it's not something that would happen with a larger company like a Shopify or um, Magento. And I, I guess I will joke and say that I have a hate, hate relationship with Adobe. So, <laughs> you know, totally fair. It's, it's understandable. It's understandable. So last question, as we come to a close, uh, I ask every single agency leader this, what's something coming in the e-commerce space in the next year, year and a half, that you think might catch people by surprise? I think headless is really gonna change. Headless and 5G are fundamentally gonna change the way we use the internet. Um, not enough people are talking about this, um, I think what we think of with the laptop or smartphone or iPad is going to become a very small sliver of the internet. So it's figuring out how to quickly prototype something so we can power outdoor billboards or we can power better communication with Alexa or Siri or Google Assistant, um, it's understanding how to quickly use a CMS to throw up a display for 
your, your corporate office. So when your client's visiting, you can have client information there, but you're also having pertinent business stuff. It's not just a PowerPoint anymore. It's you're, you're fundamentally interacting differently. Um, I think, you know, for, from an e-com perspective, the ability to leverage RFID uh, is going to be huge. Like I, I think you're going to see RFID technology in grocery stores and refrigerators. So as the Samsung TV refrigerator becomes big, I mean, developers and platforms need to be thinking about how do we make content for that fridge. And then from an e-com perspective, how do we use an IMS to actively look at what our consumers using and then you can use that to better predict inventory levels to better predict pricing and then when something goes down we work with a platform like you to automatically reorder a good so if we understand that cheese is going down or that milk needs to be reordered or you know, if, if you keep pets, if, if dog food's going down, and just imagine being able to reorder that. Yep. Because there's a little chip in the product. Yeah. And it can and it can read what's happening. It's that predict that concept of predictive commerce where you're not even thinking about it and each week uh, the things that you would have ordered are gonna show up on your doorstep. For sure. Awesome. Well, this was a fantastic episode. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me today, Alex. For sure. I thank you for having me. Of course. Talk soon. For sure. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe. Also, if you'd like to talk to Engine about our agency partner program, then visit enginecommerce.com slash agency.